Amen. Well, once again, good morning. If you have your Bible, turn me to Mark chapter 4. That's uh, where we'll start this morning. And I want to look um, at, at the responses we can have to what the Bible talks about persecution. And there's really two things we can do. We can withdraw if we face persecution or if we face afflictions in this life. Uh, we, can we can withdraw from God and become empty and cold, or we can press into that and press into the kingdom and become more zealous, which I think we'll see is what uh, the, the response should be. And, we, and, and through that, we'll be blessed. And through that, we'll have a closer relationship with God through the trials of this life. And in the, the fourth chapter of Mark, uh, our Lord is teaching a parable. It's the parable of the sowers. In the verse 3, he says, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth. But when the sun was, rose, was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root in it, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit and sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. And the Lord in verse 14 begins to describe this parable uh, in detail to his disciples. He says, the sower soweth the word. He's sowing the word of God. He's spreading the word of God. And these that are by the wayside where the word is sown. Uh, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that is sown in their hearts. And let's listen to the second category. That's the one I want to look at today. It says, these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. Now these are people, this is a, this is a type of, of person who receives the Word of God that's being preached, and they receive it with gladness, and they immediately receive it. There's little um, resistance on their part. And then in verse 17, it says, They have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the Word's sake, so for the... So, Y'all hear that? They endure for a time. It says, but when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake. So for the word that's being sown. So this affliction or this persecution is, is for the word's sake. And I wrote this definition down. Persecution is the affliction of pain, punishment, or death upon others unjustly, particularly for adhering to a religious creed or mode of worship, either by way of penalty or for compelling them to renounce their principles. So persecution is coming because of the word of God on these people. And it says because of that, immediately they are offended. So those who immediately receive the word with gladness, they face persecution and affliction and they're immediately offended. And that means to cause a person to distrust or desert one whom they ought to trust or obey. So because of the persecution that came forward, uh, they no longer trust the one whom they should trust, whom they should follow and whom they should obey. And I think that gives us a lot of insight into the, the enemy's purpose for persecution against his people is that it would make you desert the one whom you ought to trust and obey. The goal behind persecution of God's people is that you would withdraw from fellowship with God and become cold towards the things of God. 
And that's what happens there. When my son was, I guess when Bo was about three, we signed him up for, they, they called it soccer shots. It was at the park and they would kick the ball around. And at the very end, after the, the, the end of the hour, they'd set up the soccer goals and you'd get to score one goal. Everybody scored a goal. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen three-year-olds kick a soccer ball, but it doesn't always go in the goal. And uh, it'd go to the right or it'd go to the left. And after the first shot, all the teammates, some of the parents would have to get around, and they'd start chanting, never give up, never give up. And sometimes that would go on for a while <laughs> until they eventually got it in the goal. Never give up, never give up. You know, that is the Christian motto in this life, is to never give up. You're going to be faced with many things that are going to try to pull you away from your walk as a Christian. But the, but the motto, and that's, that's one of the reasons we're here today. Do you know that as a church? We're gathered around to encourage each other to never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Paul, in his, uh, in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, he, he's talking about the Christian, uh, the, the armor that we're to bear in our spiritual warfare. And one of the things he says that we're to pray and we're to watch with perseverance, that's with persistency. We're to be persistent in our walk as Christians because it is the norm. And so we've been so blessed as Americans that, that we haven't faced a lot of this persecution for our religious beliefs, but it's been the norm throughout society, throughout history of Christianity that they would be faced with great tribulation and persecution. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, it says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul. Now that's persecution, isn't it? They have stoned Paul. They drew him out of the city supposing that he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now here's Paul that's been stoned. They thought he was dead, but he, the Lord uh, is merciful to him, and he lives, and he goes on with Barnabas to another city. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again unto Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So here's a man who had that attitude of never give up, never give up. I heard Brother Ronald Lawrence one time talking about trying to get his, he was preaching and, and he was talking about trying to get his children to say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. <laughs> and that was kind of the key to it was just never give up. He said, one day it'll click and you'll be blown away. Just never give up. We need that attitude as Christians, just never to give up. And Paul didn't give up. They'd stoned him. They thought he was dead, but he didn't give up. And he comes back to Antioch and says he confirms the souls of the disciples and he exhorted them to continue in the faith. His, his exhortation, his motivation, his encouragement with them is to continue in the faith in the midst of persecution. And that we must through, listen to this, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. It is through much oppression and affliction and persecution and distress that we are going to truly enjoy the kingdom of God. You see, to enjoy the blessings of the kingdom of God, to enjoy the blessings of the saints, to enjoy the blessings of the church is not going to be easy on you. You're going to have to press through many things to enjoy that. And that's what he is telling them, that you need to, to truly enjoy the church of God or the kingdom of God. You're going to be faced with much persecution. And as I mentioned, we haven't seen much of that in our time as, as, as Christians in America. We live in a and what would be odd to most, uh, most of the history of Christianity, we've lived in a great time of peace. But you can see 
And I've mentioned this here before, that over the last year and a half, we have seen what resembles persecution more closely than ever before. The public opinion of Christianity has changed. Um, in Canada, that's our neighbor to the north, as y'all know, in Canada, a pastor was recently imprisoned for over 35 days because he refused to stop holding church services the way the government said to stop holding church services. And you can say, well, that was just in Canada. Well, I can tell you that you can research this. And over the last year and a half, preachers from California to Mississippi have been fined. They've been threatened with imprisonment for just doing uh, what church people have done for the last 2000 years, meet together and worship God. And so you may say, well, we've never faced persecution and we're not facing persecution. And I say you you are you are right in many senses and praise God for that. Right. Nobody, nobody wants to pray that we'd be persecuted, right? But what if we face it? It's good to be prepared. How we're, you know, the best thing that you can do uh, when you want to, when you, when you're thinking, how could, uh, you know, you want to react to a situation the right way, right? The best thing you can do is prepare beforehand how you're going to react to that situation. And so I think we have examples of how we are to react. If persecution comes our way and, and persecution may not be stoning us in the streets, uh, but it may be social isolation. It may be the, the, the cancel culture that's run amok in our society where people are, are afraid to speak their mind. Uh, it may be fines. It, it may be imprisonment at some time for doing uh, what, what we want to do as Christians, what we believe God has given us a right to do to meet together, to worship God. Uh, it, it may come upon us and it's good to know what we should do if that time comes. And, and I want to say this, that, that and I kind of mentioned it a minute, but I am proud, I am thankful for the freedom that we have as Americans to worship God. Are y'all? Um, you know, it's amazing if you just look at what God has done for the cause of religious liberty through this nation. And it's really amazing how God has used Baptists, you know, we are Baptists today, and I think we should be thankful that we are, we are Baptist people today. We have a rich heritage as Baptists. And I would encourage you to read about John Leland, who influenced our, our founding fathers to pursue uh, religious freedom. He, he, his Leland, uh, John Leland promoted religious tolerance, religious freedom, that, that, that Americans should be able to worship God however they see fit, or not worship God if they see it fit that way. That we should, we should be allowed to, to worship how we want to. To worship how we see fit and you know in 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 the early 1800s it was 1801 or 1802 he was invited to congress to preach on the subject of religious liberty wouldn't that be amazing today <laughs> if congress got together and said we need somebody to come up here and preach to us on the subject i think somebody needs to go preach to him on the subject of religious liberty what about y'all <laughs> Think about, you. people say, well, our country's getting better. I don't know. Do y'all see anybody preaching to the Congress today? <laughs> um, but praise God that he put men with such courage in a position to influence the men who created this country that we could still today be gathering. How many of y'all are worried that somebody's going to come arrest you right now for what we're doing? Well, we can praise God that he put men such as John Leland in a place to influence the men so that we could do that today. Um, I want to read a couple of, you say, what is the position on religious freedom of Baptist? Here's John Smith. He was a, 
Baptist minister, and this was written, I think, in 1611. What is the role of the, of the church, of, of the government, of the family? It says, the magistrate is not by virtue of his office to meddle with the religion or matters of conscience, to force or compel men to this or that form of religion or doctrine, but to leave Christian religion free to every man's conscience and to handle only civil transactions or transgressions, injuries and wrongs of man against man in murder, adultery, theft, etc. For Christ is the only king and lawgiver of the church and conscience. See, it's been the, it's been the Baptist position as Baptist people. It is our heritage that we, we believe. See, we believe there's three roles really of government. There's, there's the civil government, there's the church, and there's the family. Those are the three governments that God has created. The first, by the way, was the family. Then he created civil government. Then he created the church. And they all have their distinct roles. And you know where we get in trouble is when the government tries to tell the church and the family what to do. Or when the church tries to tell the family what they can do. Or vice versa. They all, they all have their place. And if they're operating in the way God intended, everything will run smoothly. That's much like our lives, right? If we just do it the way God intended. And so Baptists have seen this forever. This was from a, a book I read, The History of the Rise and Progress of the Baptist in Alabama. It's from Hosea Holcomb, who was a, a pastor in the 1800s here in the Birmingham area. He said, but with few exceptions. I love this. You want to say, what is your political ideology, Josh? This is it. But with few exceptions, the Baptists have always adhered to the leading maxim to be subject to the powers that be. We are, that's what the Bible teaches. We're to be subject to the powers that be. And all the favor, uh, and, and all the favor they as Christians have asked of civil government. This is what Christians have asked of civil, civil government has been to give them their Bibles and leave them alone. <laughs> I like that, don't y'all? <laughs> give us our Bibles and leave us alone. But I'm going to tell you, there is a group of people in the United States of America who do not want to give you your Bible and leave you alone. The Puritans came to America in the early 1600s to establish what they called the kingdom of God. They were going to establish a righteous society and a righteous church. And they were leaving the Church of England and they were going to reform it here in America and create what some of them called the kingdom of God. And they sought to worship God as they saw fit. And for that uh, I can appreciate that. But here's what they didn't tolerate. They didn't tolerate anyone else to worship as they saw fit. Um, they, they persecuted uh, many people, uh, Quakers and Baptists alike. They sent some to death. There were hangings. There was beatings. Uh, they, would, um, they, would, they would dole out public humiliation because they weren't tolerant of other religions. And what happened is they, it's, it's, it's interesting if you, if you think about the history. They left England under a tyrannical government and a tyrannical religious system to escape that only to become tyrants themselves. And I think, see, if we don't understand history, we're doomed to repeat history, right? They became tyrants. And one thing that's true of all of us here today and everybody everywhere is we're all in, in the deep, dark parts of our heart. We're little bitty, tiny tyrants. We want things our way. It's not, it's not so much that we want you to agree with what we're doing. We want, you to, we want you to endorse what we're doing, right? And if not, we will, we will lay down the penalty. Think about children. How many of y'all little children at home? You've raised little children. They'll rule the house if you let them, right? <laughs> it's just within them. I want to read you from 1 Peter chapter 5, 
verse 1 and 3, it says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Peter is exhorting the elders to feed the flock of God, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In verse 3, he says, Neither as being lords, that is, controllers or dictators or tyrants, neither being lords over God's heritage, but being examples, that's an example, to the flock. What Peter is encouraging the church here, he knew that the elders, the position of the pastor and the, and the, and the role of leadership in the church, that those people possessed in them the same thing the Puritans possessed in them, the same thing we all possess in us, that if we get enough power, we will control people and dictate people and, and, and rule with an iron fist. And he says, he's telling the elders, you need to be reminded that it's not your church, it's God's church. Those aren't your people, they're His people, and you are just to be an example to them, not a dictator to them. You see, because it's in human nature that we would do that. And that's what happened in the early Americas. And so there's a Baptist minister by the name of Obadiah Holmes, who who was an early uh, Baptist minister in the American colonies. In the summer of 1651, he was arrested near Boston, Massachusetts, for holding a church service in the home of an elderly man with two other Baptist ministers. Now, this was under the Puritan leadership in Massachusetts. And ultimately, he was sentenced. The other two paid their fine, but he wouldn't pay it. I like him. He wouldn't pay it. He was sentenced to 30 whippings, lashes with a whip. Um, and, you know, he responded to the sentencing. I wrote these words down. He said, I bless God that I am counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's beautiful, isn't it? I count God that I'm worth. Let's go to Acts chapter 5 for just a moment. That's true Christianity. See, that's the Christianity that we don't understand as Americans. But it's the kind of Christianity we need. That's the kind of Christianity that turns. You know what they said of the early apostles and disciples? These are the men that have turned the world upside down. That's the kind of Christianity that turns the world upside down. That's the kind of Christianity that changes churches and changes societies. And the apostles are brought before a council after they've been imprisoned in Acts chapter 5. And it says in verse 40, and they had all agreed um, to Gamaliel, who had had basically stood up and said, "If, if God's with these men, you can't overthrow it, so you might as well let them go. And they all agreed. The council agrees to his his council. And it says, and when they called the apostles and, and had beaten them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, they let them go. And I think it's, it, it's hard for us to even fathom what we would do. Like I said, we need to make up our mind what we would do if something like this was to happen or something lesser of this was to happen. You know, what are you going to do if you don't get invited to the party because you're a Christian? What are you going to do if they say, we're going we're gonna to fire you? We're, you're going to lose your career for your Christian beliefs. It's good for us to know what are we going to do at that time. Well, here's what the apostles did. It says, and they departed after they were beaten, after they were told that they couldn't, uh, they couldn't go on anymore. It says, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. See, that's the attitude that turns the world up. That's the attitude that I need to have. No matter what comes, 
No matter if, 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 if I'm, what I'm facing, I'm going to do nothing but to preach and to teach Jesus Christ. No matter what the government tells me I can do with my, my children, I'm going, to, I'm going to give them to the Lord. I'm going to give them and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. No matter what comes. And that's the same attitude that Peter and the apostles has. It's the same attitude that Obadiah Holmes had in the 1600s, a Baptist minister in the Americas. And so his, 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 his flogging took place in September of that year, in 1651. Um, and after he was beaten, they said for weeks he could only sleep on his knees and on his elbows. The governor of Rhode Island saw him and said, I'm, a, I'm surprised that he is alive. And, 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 and to the magistrates that beat him after the beating, he said this, his, his last words to them before they let him go, he said, you have struck me as with roses. <laughs> That's the kind of man I want to be. What about y'all? You have struck me as with roses. And see, he was facing great persecution. But ultimately, the plan to persecute the Baptist backfired on the Puritans. And the beating that he took and the way he responded to that was used of God. And listen to this. Two years later, the president of Harvard College, which was a Puritan school in Boston, still there today, refused to have. He, he had heard about the beating and investigated Obadiah Holmes. And he refused to have his infant son baptized and was fired from Harvard University for adopting Baptist doctrine. Tell me what you do doesn't have effect on others. They wrote to England, to the Puritans of England, and many of the Puritans in the colony were reprimanded for the way they had, they had behaved towards Obadiah Holmes. He left one year later and pastored a Baptist church in Newport, Rhode Island for over 30 years. And an interesting fact I found this week, his great-great-great-great-great-grandson, Abraham Lincoln, was elected the 16th president of the United States and was also raised in a primitive Baptist family. So there at least, I tell you that story when you say, why do you tell? At least two reasons. Number one, the Puritans weren't so pure. And number two, uh, God blesses us when we persevere through persecution. When we keep on keeping on. One of the early church fathers said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And it is very true that when hard times come, uh, as a rule, those who have actually the, the Christians who have devoted their life to Jesus Christ, that persecution doesn't diminish your zeal. It increases your zeal for God. How many of y'all can remember, I guess it's about a year and a half ago now when, when we were told we couldn't meet, and we didn't, and that was for good reason. But how many of y'all desired more to be in the house of God during those five weeks than you ever had? You know, when you tell somebody you can't, what does that make them want it? Just makes them want it, Right? Um, that is a lot of what happens in Christianity. So I want to go to Acts chapter 8 as we look at one more example to encourage us. In Acts chapter 6, the multitude, uh, it, it says, starting in Acts chapter 6, and in those days when the number of disciples was, multitude, was multiplied, so the church is growing. And you may remember they, that's when they ordained the first deacons of the church. Among those are a man named Stephen, um, and a man named Philip. And so the Word of God is increasing. The church is increasing. Um, the, the, the church is increasing. And, and 
you remember when Brother Luke was it two weeks ago that Brother Luke was here? He preached about uh, Stephen. So I won't try to do that for you today. But there's, you know, there's this great, I guess, high point in the church, in the early church, after the persecution that we saw of, of Peter. And they keep preaching Jesus Christ and they don't cease every day to preach and teach him. And the church continues to grow. And then that, I guess that wasn't enough to shut them down. So then they kill Stephen. They literally kill uh, Stephen. And it says in verse 58 of Acts chapter 7, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. At that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the, the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I want to, I want to look at those eight verses for just a moment as we talk about how are we how are we to react to persecution? It says, in Saul, now this is amazing, isn't it? It says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Now this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about before God changed him. And you know, the Apostle, the, Saul, Saul should be a great encouragement to all of us that there is no one too wicked or too mean that God can't touch and change. I love that. It says, but it says that Saul was consenting. That word consenting means he was pleased. At the same time he was consenting, he was agreeing or he was applauding the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was great persecution. And what is the goal of persecution? It is to cause offense. It is to cause you to no longer trust in the one whom you should trust and obey. There was a great persecution against the church was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And I think it gives us great insight in verse 1 that not only was Saul consenting and they had killed uh, they had finally killed Stephen. Uh, they, he was the first Christian martyr. But that wasn't enough. They had to continue the great persecution against the church. And they scattered them. And you'll see that Paul even went to follow them. And that gives us great insight into these people who truly hate God. That, 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 that a little is not enough. Once they, once they taste, it's kind of like an animal. Once they taste the blood, they want more. And in our sophisticated society today, we don't, we don't see them coming in to persecute us like that, but we see court battles. You ought to read about the, the baker in Colorado. Y'all have all probably heard about him who refused to bake the cakes for certain marriages. They're after him again because the wicked, unregenerate, reprobate people that hate God will not give up until they have their way. Do you understand that? And they are, they are attacking us. I talked about cancel culture earlier, social isolation. Or, um, you, you know, there's so many movements today that, there's so many movements and, and there's some that are very 
popular and I guess you could say they're very proud about it. It's that we're, we're, we're in pride month, right? And the thing is, it's not, it's not good enough to say, okay, you, you do your thing and leave me alone. They want you to embrace and celebrate what they want. And let me tell you, if they get power, they will force that upon you because it is human nature. And so they're going out to persecute the church. It says, and devout men, those are men who revered God, they carried Stephen to his burial and make great lamentation over him. And I think we see a lot of cur- the, the word. Here's what you need if you're going to face persecution. It's one word. It's courage. That's what we got to have. And here's, here's an act of courage because Stephen was, 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 was killed uh, by, by the, the rulers of this area and, and kind of the tradition of the law in Judaism was you, you don't, you know, these, these malefactors that we kill like this, you don't make great lamentation over them. You bury them quickly and you don't mourn over them. But devout men carried him and lamented over him and mourned over him and caused great sorrow uh, over Stephen because they, they had courage. It takes, it, that was public courage. It could have been easy to say, no, I never knew Stephen. Right? If they'd, take, if, if they'd have come in and took Brother Luke out two weeks ago and stoned him in the front yard, it'd be kind of easy for me to say, well, we just invited him that one time. We didn't really know him, right? No, they didn't back off. See, we need each other. That's what we're going to need as people, each other. Right? As the church, we need each other. As a, as a family, we need each other. I love the fact, like yesterday, when, when some of us gathered together for lunch, I can't tell you how much I enjoy being with you all because we're family. I was talking to Brother Norman this week on the phone, and we were talking about the great hope that we have. We talked about Abraham, who when he passed away, he was gathered unto his people. Don't y'all love that? The Bible says he was gathered unto his people. I mean, I love all y'all. I've got a, I've got a great, I, I'm blessed with a good family. I just love, some, I just love being with my people. <laughs> How many of y'all just feel more comfortable here or feel more comfortable around your family? See, our people aren't just somebody we need to be gathered to one day. Our, our people are the ones that are going to get us through this life. You are my people. Whether you like me or not, you are my people. Okay? You stuck with me. Unless you get rid of me. And then I may stay. I was here before I was your pastor. Okay? I love y'all. We need our people. And so His people take Him and bury Him and, and lament over Him. And it says, And as for Saul who saw all this, he was not even touched with that. It says he made havoc of the church. He treated them shamefully. He injured them. He ravaged the church and entered into every house, hailing, that is dragging, men and women, and he committed them to prison. And after he was regenerated, converted, and became a preacher, he would tell the Galatians that he persecuted the church and wasted it. He ravaged the church with great zeal. And it says, therefore... They that were scattered abroad, see, because of this persecution, the early church who was, who was gathered at Jerusalem, and remember now, Jesus had told his disciples, you're going to take this message to the ends of the earth. He had told them that in the first chapter of, of Acts. But at this point, they haven't gone anywhere. But persecution comes, and they are scattered, and they go. And it says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, proclaiming the gospel and persecution, much like Obadiah Holmes and much like Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter five, persecution that was intended to shut them up only made them louder. So you say, what would I do if persecution came? I got a pretty good idea what most of you would do. 
you'd just get louder. You'd just draw in. And I know you wouldn't do that on your own, but there's a God in heaven who helped Obadiah Holmes. There's a God in heaven who helped Peter. There's a God in heaven who helped these apostles. And what did they do? They went about preaching the word. You can read in Acts chapter 11 that they went out, uh, because of that persecution, they went out to preach the word. Listen to Paul's final charge to Timothy. He says, this is the final thing that Paul's going to tell. This is the final chapter of that letter. The, the last letter that Paul wrote, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead and the appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He said, in season and out of season, Timothy, you need to preach the word. The church was given as a repository for the word of God. And it is on us as members of Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church that we determine in our hearts and make up our minds today that whatever comes, we will continue to support the preaching of the word of God. What is the, what is the only thing? Brother Wayne prayed that our country would be united. That, that the, there are so many things that are going on. What is the only solution to the problems of our nation? It is the word of God and God's people. He says they proclaim the word and God used the, per the persecution that, that was meant to shut the church down to spread his gospel to the world. Isn't that amazing? That what the enemy thought, I'll do this. God thought, I'll take that and I'll do this. And so that gives me hope because we look out at our times and we say, what is going on? I don't know, but the same God who took that persecution and blew the church onto a global scale is the same God that can take what's going on with us and turn it around and use it for good and do whatever He purposes to do. See, a lot of times we forget that God is on the throne, don't we? We say, what is going on? It doesn't matter who's in Montgomery or Washington, God hasn't abandoned His throne. And He does His will among the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? God is in control. Let's close with the, Philip. Let's close with the courage of Philip. I'm going to tell you now, I mean, this is real true. If, if, if that would have happened to Brother Luke, it might have been a little harder for me to come up here next Sunday. Right? Now here's Philip, one of the other deacons. And he became the evangelist. And as he was scattered, he said he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Just the same thing that his brother not long before had been killed for. He went and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame and were healed. Now, I was closed with this verse in verse 8. If we make up our minds that no matter what, we're going to follow Christ and we will never give up. What is the result of that? It says, and there was great joy 
in that city. I'm going to tell you, those who immediately received the word, but because of affliction and persecution were offended, I, I, I do not believe they're going to miss out on heaven. But they missed out on great joy that was offered unto them. And here from history and the Word of God, I can tell you, if we press in through persecution in whatever form that may come, and through great affliction we press into the kingdom of God, the result of that, whether we're, whether we're ostracized from the, from the community, whether we're fired, whether we're beaten, whether we're fined, whatever may happen, the result of that in that state, we will have great joy. The Apostle Paul from a jail cell, wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, and he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. That's in all times and in all circumstances. When the church is growing, when the church is sinking, when the society you live in supports you, when the society you live in is against you, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Why could he say that? Because as Christian people, just like Philip, just like those in Samaria, just like Stephen, just like the Apostle Paul would experience later on in life. Isn't God amazing? I mean, if you wrote this, if you wrote this story, would Paul be the one that writes the re- most of the rest of the chapters in this, in this book? The majority of the books after Acts were written by this man who was making havoc of the church. I love God's grace, don't y'all? That gives me hope. But why, why could they be joyful? Why could Paul write from a, from a jail cell of the Philippians and say, rejoice in the Lord. Because it's those two words, or those three words, in the Lord. Your bank account's going to go up and down. The scale's going to go up and down. Your happiness in this life's going to go up and down. The membership of this church is going to go up and down. The stock market, what does it do? It goes up and down. But the Lord remains the same on his throne rejoice in the lord let's pray heavenly father thank you for this day thank you for the many blessings of this church that you've given us um, the improvements to the building for the the uh, the children we, we 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 get to see each week and it's, and we just pray lord that you would continue to add to this church that you would open up doors of opportunity for us to to speak the gospel and to go about preaching the gospel uh, not only with words, but with our actions and the way we live, and that you would add to this congregation, that we would grow closer together. And, and I pray, God, that you would you would give us the strength to stand uh, in this society. Um, uh, we thank you that persecution has not reached us, and we don't know that it will in our generation. But when it comes, Lord, we ask for the strength to stand and be counted worthy to suffer shame for your name. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Uh, This time we'll sing a hymn, and if you would like to unite with this church, uh, just come forward and let your desires to, to be a part of us be known. Do you have a song, brother? Say 582. Number number 582. Bye. Uh...